0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. So if you have a Bible today, uh, would you open up to Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. And uh, we're starting a new series today called Having an Eternal Perspective in a Temporary World. And uh, I'm really excited about it. Listen, if I say James today, it's because we've been in James over the last several months now. And so uh, the way I kind of uh, take it is like, you know how the new year starts, you kind of write the old year or you say the old year by accident a few times. So uh, I'm expecting to do that. I've written it down. I've said it accidentally a few times. So if I say James, I mean Luke. All right. So, uh, so that's where we're going to be today. And I'm excited uh, to be in the series with you. We're going to be doing this for uh, the next five weeks. And uh, And just as kind of to let you in my world just a little bit here, uh, one of the things that I do every year is I'm constantly praying God, what would you speak to us in the new year? What do you have for us? What do you want to teach us? What do you want to speak in and through us in the new year? And so, um, uh, in fact, here in just a couple of weeks, I'm going to uh, be going and spending some time. So, if you're looking for ways to pray for me, um, you could just pray that God would speak to me, reveal to me what we're supposed to go through. I have some ideas of what we're going to do, and I'm excited about that, but I just want to make sure they're not my ideas, that they're from the Lord. And so, uh, I'm going to be spending some time praying about that uh, towards the end of August and for September and planning out all. All of the year. But one of the things that I did last year is I did the same thing. And I was just praying, God, what would you speak to us? What do you want us to learn? And I just really felt like the Lord was leading me to this idea of having perspective, making sure that we have the right perspective on things. Because the reality is everything on this earth can sometimes feel very permanent, feel like there's, there's no relief, like it's just there. And, and the reality is it is all very temporary. No, it's not um, going to be permanent. It's not always going to be this way. And so uh, I really felt like the Lord Lord led me to this. And so we're going to just be talking about over the next several weeks about how God's values are different than our values, how his perspective on things is different than our perspective on things. And so I'm excited to kick off this new series, but one of the ways that I wanted to kick off this series is I wanted to uh, kind of play a little interactive game with you. Um, so I hope you're ready for that. You got enough coffee, you got enough sleep. So um, I, uh, the first service was pretty good, all right? Uh, so uh, we'll see. Uh, by the, the way I want to be interactive, though, is by playing a game called uh, Who Am I? And uh, what I'm going to do is read you a s- description of, of things, and you just tell me right where you're at who uh, who I'm describing, what I'm describing, all right? So here we go. Verse one's really easy. I'm light as a feather yet no one can hold me for too long. What am I? Air. Air. Breath. Breath, Yep, that's it. Breath is, breath is, air was good, but breath is definitely the one. All right, here we go. This, This one might be the hardest one, so we'll see how you do. All right. I'm not alive, but I grow. I don't have lungs, but I need air. I don't have a mouth, but water kills me. What am I? Fire. Yep, that's right. There you go. There you go. Be more sure. Be more like, it's fire, all right? All right, here we go. I'm tall when I'm young and short when I'm old. What am I? Candle. Candle, That's right. Last service said a pencil, and I was like, does anybody use a pencil anymore? Like, I I don't know, but uh, here's the last one. I belong to you, but others use it more than you. What am I? Your name. That's right. Who said that? Who's, who's, just be loud. Yes, be loud, be proud. All right. Uh, I like playing that game. In fact, me and my boys, we play that game uh, with one another. We like to do the riddles. We like to do what am I? And so I've used some of these on my boys. But the reason why I wanted to start off this way, playing this kind of silly little game, is because how would God describe you? When God sees you, sees your life, sees your choices, your decision, how do you think God actually sees you? Now, for some of you, you're already probably thinking of some descriptions. You're probably thinking of some words of how God sees you, how God views you. But here's the reality. If we're not careful, we can hear the voice of others and how they see us. Or we'll hear the enemy whispering in our ear, saying, well, this is who you are. This is, who you, this is your past. This are your sins. Like, this is who you are. And we can begin to believe those lies. Or we might look in the mirror and we might see ourselves a certain way and we can begin to reject or forget how our creator, how God himself sees us. So no matter if you're young or old, no matter what your background is, uh, no matter what uh, state of life you're in today, I have one singular message for us all today and it is this, that when you finally see yourself the way God sees you, you're going to understand your true value. In fact, the title of today's message, in light of the fun game that we just played, uh, is called What Are You? It's Valuable. What Are You Valuable? Now, before we jump into our text today, what I want to do is I want to give us a little background of what's going on here in chapter 12. Because if you read chapter 12, depending on your version, depending on what translation you're reading out of, it'll say something along the lines of, In the meantime. And that's kind of an odd place to pick up a chapter. And so anytime you're picking up a book of the Bible, you're picking up verses, you're picking up a chapter, we all need to understand the context of what is being said. And so what I want to do today is I want to just give us a little background, a little context of what's going on. And then I'm going to walk us through verse by verse through these 12 verses. And at the end, I'm going to tie in what Jesus is saying and how he values us and what our worth is. So that's kind of our outline for today. That's kind of the direction we're going. So if you're ready, say amen. If you're not ready, grab more coffee. All right. (laughs) Because here we go. All right. So right before chapter 12. Jesus has a bunch of interactions with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the enemies of Jesus. And even though they didn't like Jesus, Jesus still loved them. And what's interesting is some of them actually even became followers of Jesus as well. But for the most part, overall, they hated Jesus. They rejected Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And in chapter 11, um, we, we see that there's, Jesus is challenging these Pharisees and their religious practices in hypocrisy. And the Pharisees are over here trying to trap Jesus with their questions. And so what we see is these interactions in chapter 11. And they're kind of intense. There's a lot going on here. In fact, the way it starts off is that Jesus casts out a demon and a mute man. Now we hear that and we go, okay, Jesus is is doing his thing. Like we get it. But the fact, this is a very big deal in that culture. And I, I don't have the time to go into all of what this is. But really him doing this pointed to the fact that he was the Messiah, that he is who he said that he was. And so instead of the Pharisees like giving credit to him and going, man, this is great. This is a miraculous miracle. Instead of them acknowledging all this, what they end up trying to do is they try to discredit Jesus. They're trying to, um, you, you know, uh, make sure to try to question his authority. They don't want to believe it. They're trying to question everything about Jesus. But later on, Jesus is even described as a better Jonah. Then moving on, as you read throughout these chapters, we see that Jesus confronts the Pharisees on their obsession with outward appearance and rituals while neglecting justice and love. And towards the end of chapter 11, these Pharisees become so hostile towards Jesus that they start to plot against him and try to figure out ways to trap him with, their, with his words. And they're trying to figure out ways to bring accusations against him. So all throughout Luke chapter 11, there's this contrast between Jesus and his teachings. He's trying to teach on inward transformation. He's teaching on love. It's being contrasted with the Pharisees' emphasis on legalism. And really, chapter 11 sets the stage for these further confrontations all throughout the book of Luke. And so that brings us, so that's all that noise, there's all of that going on. So when it says, in the meantime, we have to understand that there's a lot of things going on in the background uh, here as we get to chapter 12. And it says, in the meantime, while all that noise is going on, all that tension between Jesus and the Pharisees, it says, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. Pause right there. See, at this point in Jesus' ministry, his followers were increasing, but also his enemies were increasing. His enemies were becoming more verbal. Their verbal assaults and accusations were becoming a lot. And so just imagine, here's Jesus and there's all these people and they're gathering around him. They're gathering around Jesus. And what's interesting to me is that Jesus pulls his disciples in first. Maybe some of the people heard what was going on, but he wanted to make sure, hey, my disciples, the people who are following me, I want you to hear this first. And I thought, man, that's really us today. Jesus pulls us in and he wants us to hear what he has to speak. He goes on to say in verse one, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now we might read this and we might go, what? Like, because it doesn't hit us like it would have back then. It wouldn't have, it, and, and I'll explain kind of what he's talking about here in just a minute. But, but Jesus is like, hey, guess what, disciples? You see those Pharisees in the corner over there? You see how they're acting? Remember all those interactions we had with them? Do you see those Pharisees? He's like, don't act like them. Don't be like them. He doesn't want his followers to look like his enemies. He wants his followers to not be hypocrites. And so when he says that word hypocrite, it's an important word because in the Greek, it means to wear a mask To be an actor or to play the part of something. In fact, in the Greek theater, when people would play parts, they would put on these masks and then they would play out those roles. It's not unlike today, right? Like we have people who are actors and actresses and they pretend to be something to play a role or to play a part. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, hey, beware of hiding behind the mask of hypocrisy, pretending to be something that you're really not. And when Jesus compares hypocrisy to leaven, that is us comparing it to like yeast. And yeast or leaven is something that the Jewish people would have been very familiar with because it would have represented evil. In fact, leaven, uh, Paul would even describe sin as leaven. And so this is something that they would have been very familiar with, would have really hit home with them because just like yeast, hypocrisy begins very small, but it grows quickly and quietly. And as it grows, it infects the whole person hypocrisy does to the ego what yeast does to bread dough. It puffs it up. Now, I think we all would agree that Christians shouldn't be hypocrites. Like, I think we could all say yes on that, and some of us, we kind of giggle to ourselves, or we kind of smirk a little bit, because, you know, it seems like Christians and hypocrites go hand in hand. Like, it's PB&J, bacon and eggs. Like, it just seems like it goes together. They go hand in hand, it seems like the moment you walk into a church, you're given a handbook on how to be a hypocrite. And you just show up, you put on a face, you put a mask on, you pretend everything's cool, everything's put together in your life that you're this perfect Christian. And some of you, you're so new to walking with Jesus that you come into this room and you're like, "Man, look at all these perfect Christians. Man, they got it all together. Listen, you're probably the most normal one here. I know them. They know me. We're all messed up. We've all got our issues. We've all got our problems. We're not perfect. We have things going on in our life, and Christians are not supposed to be hypocrites. We're not supposed to be putting on a mask. We're not supposed to be pretending that everything's cool. We don't need to come in here and be like, yeah, my marriage is great, when it's falling apart. We don't need to be like, man, it's, it's great when our kids are struggling. We don't need to come in here and go, man, everything's good in life when everything is falling apart. Stop putting on the mask. Stop playing a part. All too often, we are hypocrites. And so Jesus says, my enemies have hypocrisy, but my followers should have honesty. And so Jesus now in verse two, he's gonna compare his followers to his enemies. He's gonna compare hypocrisy to honesty. Look at what he says in verse two. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be one who says one thing over here, and then when you're over here saying another thing. See, the Pharisees, they hid all of their failures. They hid all of their allegiances, and Jesus is like, hey, don't be like them. Be honest. But why is honesty so difficult? Why do we have a hard time being honest with one another? I think it's because we don't want people to know how screwed up we are. How much we don't have it together. But listen, sometimes we realize, man, everybody else is just like me. They're kind of screwed up too. But then we act just like the Pharisees and we sit around and we judge other people. And God says, hey, don't be that way. Don't hide your failures. Be honest about it. Talk about where you're at. But then we're also, we shouldn't be like the Pharisees who hide our allegiances. Really, what we're going to see here in Luke 12 is Jesus' bigger point to his followers is if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of me, hey, just say so. Like, by a show of hands right now, how many of you here today would say that you're a follower of Jesus? Right? Like, I think we all, don't just say it in here where it's safe. Say it out there where it won't be received. And you might say, but it's dangerous if I tell people that I'm a follower of Jesus. People aren't going to understand. They might reject me. They may not like me. They may hate me. And Jesus knows this. That's why he goes on in verse four and he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who could kill the body. And after that, nothing more that they can do. Starting here in verse four, all the way down to, I think, verse seven, the word fear is mentioned about five different times. And what Jesus is teaching us is that the basic cause of hypocrisy is the fear of man. See, the fear at this time of being a follower of Jesus, that they could kill you. Jesus knew that, hey, being a follower of Jesus, there's going to come a point when your life is going to be threatened. And so these people are worried. Because again, remember chapter 11, they had all these bad interactions with these religious and political leaders of their time. And they were probably thinking to themselves, man, I'm really nervous, (laughs) You know, if I love Jesus, I love his teachings, I love being around Jesus, but man, if people know that I follow Jesus, they may come after me. And Jesus is like, yeah, they can come after you, but don't be afraid. Jesus has compared hypocrisy with honesty, and now he's going to move to comparing fear with faith. He's gonna say that there are a group of people who are motivated by fear, but we need to be a people who are motivated by faith. Look at what he says in verse five. He says, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast it into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is like, hey, what's the worst thing that people can do to you? I like to think that maybe one of the disciples is like, I got an idea, Jesus. (laughs) They could kill us. (laughs) Kind of seems like a big deal, like a lot of things that they could do to us, right? And she's like, yeah, they can do that. But that's it don't be afraid of those who can only kill your body. Forget what people may do or what people may say. Fear God alone. He's the one that you should fear. And we can hear this and we can think, man, if I come out as a Christian to my family, man, they they may reject me. They may want nothing to do with me. They may leave me and abandon me. Okay, but then what? Oh man, if I tell my friends that I can't go do those things anymore, that I live for Jesus, that I do these things, or I do this, or I do that now, that I'm a follower of Jesus, I don't do those kinds of things anymore. If they follow, find out that I'm a follower of Jesus, man, they might reject me. Okay, but then what? Man, if I come out as a Christian in my workplace, man, my coworkers, they knew who I was and what I did. They know my past. If they find out that I'm a follower of Jesus, I don't know that they'll receive it. I don't know that they'll like it. If my workplace finds out that I'm a Christian, I could be fired for it. Okay, but then what? oh man, if my boyfriend or girlfriend finds out that I I don't want to sleep with them anymore or live in the same house with them anymore because I live a different way and I don't believe that that's what God wants for me anymore and they might break up with me and who am I going to get married to? Okay, but then what? Listen, what if the government told you, hey, it's going to be illegal to follow Jesus in your life or in your business, then what? See, around the world, in most cultures, Christianity, even right now, it's illegal to do what we're doing. There are people around the world that if they, it was found out that, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, they could be killed for that. It's illegal to do what we are doing right now, going to church. So Jesus' point in verse 5 is, so they kill you, then what? They've already done all they can do to you. That's the end. See, we live in a world where humans are more afraid of other humans, and we have no fear of God. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of them. If you're going to be afraid of somebody, fear God, who not only has the power to take your life, but your soul and cast, into, cast it into hell forever. Now I want to pause right there because I know some of you right now, you might be thinking, well, am I going to, is God going to send my soul to hell? And the answer to that question is completely dependent on you. God loves you. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants to save your soul. In fact, God has not sent anybody to hell. We make that choice. Jesus, God made a way. He gave us Jesus. Jesus paid the bill so you don't have to. One way or another, someone has to answer for your sins. It's either you or it's Jesus. It's up to you. He's already paid the bill. But if you reject God, then he is to be feared because one day your body will die. And your soul will go to hell. So here's my challenge for you. If you haven't repented of your sins, do it right now. Turn from your sins. Turn to Jesus. He's waiting. He's right there to forgive you. He's full of grace. He's full of love. He's full of mercy. Make him Lord and Savior of your life. So if you're going to be afraid of anybody, fear God. But then what does Jesus say? don't fear God. And we can read this and be like, wait, what? Like, be afraid of God, but don't fear God? Like, what are you talking about here, Jesus? Look at what he says in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Does anybody know the answer to that? We're kind of like, I don't know, Jesus. Like, are five birds sold for I don't know what that means, right? Like, and what's interesting is Jesus has given us an illustration here. He, he's, he's kind of telling us because at this time, you know, like we have food trucks, well, they had like food camels at this time. And so when you kind of like walked up to them, you kind of got what we might say is a corn dog. They got like sparrow kebabs. And so you got five sparrows on a stick and you walked around and you ate these sparrows. It sounds nasty, but you know, I like a corn dog a little bit more. So, uh, but that's what's happened. You could buy five sparrows on a stick, get your sparrow kebab, walk around, it cost you two cents. And so Jesus is giving us an illustration here. He's like, hey, you remember those sparrow kebabs? Maybe some of them are munching on it too, you know? He's like, you see those sparrow kebabs? Cost you two cents, right? And everybody's like, yeah, it does. He goes on to say, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. God not only knows about every bird that is alive today, God knows about every bird that has ever lived and he knows them individually. He even knows the ones that became the sparrow kebabs. That's his point here. That's how big God is. But not only, God, not only does God care about the birds, God has every hair on your head numbered. Now I understand for some of my guys out here that, who are bald, you're like, well, it's a little easy because you, know, you can count them yourself, all right? But, but here's the good news. God even knows the number of hairs on your beard, all right? So there's a little hope in that for you as well. But, but here's the idea. Here's the point in all this. God knows you more than you know you. God values you more than you value you. That's what Jesus is saying here. And we're going to talk about this here in just a few minutes. This is kind of going to be the main idea that I'm going to bounce off of here in just a few minutes. But that's what Jesus is saying is that God values you. He loves you. And so if you're going to be afraid of anybody, fear God. But don't fear God because he loves you. Jesus is like, hey, don't be like my enemies who are filled with hypocrisy. Be filled with honesty. Don't be like my enemies who are filled with fear. Be filled with faith. And finally, Jesus says, don't be like my enemies who reject me, but receive me. Look at what he says in verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What he's saying is if you confess that Jesus is your savior before man, one day when you die and you get to heaven, Jesus will be like, yeah, he's with me. Or yeah, she's with me. This is why I love baptism so much. You know, oftentimes we'll do like a a call to salvation. Sometimes I won't tell you. Sometimes I will. I'll say, raise your hand. Sometimes we'll have people come up here in the front. But more often than not, what we do is we leave it up to you to take that step, to walk up here, to pray with someone individually so that we can walk with you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We want to have that conversation with you. And so oftentimes you don't know who's coming to know the Lord. We have people coming to know the Lord in Awaking Kids. I know a lot of people who their kids have found Jesus, discovers Jesus in Awaking Kids. And so we may not know every single person who's received Jesus in their life. But when people are standing in that pool of baptism, that's them standing before all men and saying, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm identifying myself as Jesus. That's why it's a celebration. That's why it's a party. They're identifying themselves with Jesus. They're confessing before men. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so let me ask you this, not have you been baptized before? But here's the question I want to ask you. Have you confessed that you're with Jesus? And you might say, well, you know, when I'm around people, I like to lay a little low, you know? Like, I like to be undercover. I don't want people to know that I'm a Jesus person. But can I be honest with you right now? If you can't come out as a Christian in this culture, the moment Christianity becomes illegal, we're going to run and deny Jesus quicker than Peter. We're going to betray Jesus quicker than Judas. And here's why. Because following Jesus has a cost. And so Jesus says, confess me before men and I'll confess you before God. Listen, if you've never done that, again, we're gonna have pastors right up here who would love to pray with you, walk with you what it looks like to, to be a follower of Jesus. And listen, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, my life is upside down, but I'm putting on that mask, that facade, that everything's fine, everything's good. Listen, we're still up here. We'd love to pray with you as well to encourage you to walk with you, whatever you're going through right now. But then look at what he says in verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Basically, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're not receiving Jesus. Verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to to say again Jesus is talking to worried people here and these worried people are like yeah I love you Jesus I love following you but I don't know I might get into a little trouble and Jesus is like hey don't worry about it when they bring you before the judges when they bring you before the courts and the synagogues with the religious leaders don't worry about what you're going to say if you've received me you've received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say See, God cares so much about us that no matter what we face, he gives us this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, this week I was reminded of of a man named Stephen. And I would encourage you, you can read it. His story is in Acts chapter 6 and 7. But I was reminded this week of Stephen because his story is very much what we're talking about right here. Stephen, he was appointed by the disciples to help serve the church and he's preaching the gospel. He's talking about Jesus and and people don't like what he's having them to say. And so they bring him before the religious leaders and it says that he is so filled with the Holy Spirit that he's shining, that he's glowing, right? And so he starts, I I don't know if, if Stephen was an eloquent speaker. I don't know if he knew what to say all the time, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit told him what to say. And so Stephen stands up before all these people and he starts preaching the Old Testament to them. And they don't like what he has to say. And so what they do is they bring him out into the courts. And so these religious leaders start stoning him. And you know that man was filled with the Holy Spirit because no one's going to say, hey, Jesus, would you forgive them for what they're doing to me? That's what he did. In the face of being put to death, he was like, Jesus, please forgive them. And he dies right there. And what's so cool to me is that Stephen is the real life example of what we are reading right here. He was a man who was honest, not filled with hypocrisy. He was a man who received Jesus, so he received the Holy Spirit. He didn't reject Jesus. And he was a man filled with faith, not fear. He understood what Jesus had done for him, how Jesus had saved him. And so he could stand up for Jesus, even in the face of something very terrible. Jesus gives us these warnings to not look like his enemies, but to look like him. See, we're all going to be faced to be in similar situations as Stephen. It may not be as extreme as Stephen, but we're all going to be faced with similar temptations to deny Jesus, reject Jesus, be more fearful of men. But when we know who we are in Christ, we'll know how to act. We'll know what to do. But we need to understand our value. And Jesus talks about that value in the middle of verses six and seven. He's talking about the sparrows and the hair on the head. Jesus tells us our value and what we're worth. And so for the next 10 minutes or so, what I wanna do is I wanna talk to us about our value because when we know who we are in Christ, when we understand our value, it makes us able to live out these things. And so the first one is this. God values you because you're his unique creation. God uniquely created you. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not here because the universe was out of control. You're an individual soul created by God, uniquely designed for a special purpose, and he loves you. This week, I read an article about a British businessman named Andy Fields, and he was coming over from the UK, and he went to Las Vegas, and instead of hanging out on the Las Vegas Strip, he ended up going garage uh, sale. You know, he was going to all the different garage sales. And so he was going around, and he found these series of paintings, and he grabbed one. And uh, he bought this painting for like five bucks. He liked it so much. He was like, "Ah, oh, I'm going to hang this up. I'll get it refurbished, get it redone uh, and all that. And I'll hang it up in my house. And so as they're cleaning it up, taking care of it, what they find out is behind this painting, is a, this cheap painting is a much more expensive painting. And it's a painting by a man named Andy Warhol. Very famous person, famous painter and all of that. And so he's like, whoa, what is this thing? And so what he bought for $5 was actually worth $2 million. And this week, I was like, man, where's Facebook Marketplace? Let me see what I can find, you know? I need some money. Come on, Jesus, you know? Like, what's somebody getting rid of? But here's the bigger point. I was thinking, man, how many times did somebody look at a painting and just go, uh, we'll just keep it in the corner of the garage? Uh let's just hide some boxes. You know, we'll put some boxes in front of it. We'll hide, we'll put it behind the bikes. Like, you know, maybe we'll hang it up, but probably not. It's kind of trash. Like, you know, maybe we'll sell it in a garage sale or something. But when somebody understood the true value, when they understood what it was worth, they kept it, they valued it. Here's the thing, that's how God sees you. The problem we face today is that we live in a society that no longer values human beings. The way people treat one another in our society is not the way that God intended us to treat one another. And because we treat people like garbage, because we treat people like trash, You actually begin to think you are garbage and you are trash. And so then the enemy comes in and he whispers in your ear and he's like, well, you're worthless. You're nobody. You're nothing. Who would waste their time on you? And the reality is you begin to believe those lies until God breaks through with his word and he reminds you, hey, you are valuable to me. Just because somebody doesn't see the value in you doesn't mean God doesn't see the value And what Jesus does is he says, I value you. Now, How much does God value you? Well, Psalm 56 tells us. Verse eight, he says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God knows you and values you so much that he knows every single tear that you've ever cried. Even when no one else knows that you've cried, God knows, and he's collected it in his bottle. Every time you've had an issue or a problem, he's written it down in his book. You might be like, I'm terrible at journaling my sorrows and my problems. Guess what? God isn't. He's got them all recorded. He's got them all written down. And some of us, we have this idea that nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows my problems. God doesn't even get it. Listen, God came down from heaven to this earth. He is very familiar with our problems, with our sufferings. He suffered too. He felt a lot of the same things we feel. God knows every single suffering. And by the way, this is a book that expresses over and over and over again just how much God values you and loves you. But so often people feel worthless because they've been told that they're worthless. Listen, don't listen to other human beings about your value. Listen to your creator. Who tells you what you're worth? You're valuable to God because you are his unique creation. But two, you're valuable to God because you're his purchased possession. God values you because you're his purchased possession. In the same way, Andy Fields bought this painting, God has purchased you and bought you. Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 that you were bought at a price. So let me ask you what is your worth? Some of you might be like, oh, Pastor, what's my net worth? Like, uh, I'll tell you, it's $200,000 in debt to MasterCard, right? Like, that's, that's what it feels like, right? Listen, I can put a value on you as a human being. This is the blood of Jesus. When God had to choose between the death of his own son and your eternal salvation, he chose you. He not only created you, but he bought you back and he loves you. He knows every moment of your journey. He knows every tear that you've shed. He knows every hair on your head, like he's saying here in Luke. He knows every aspect of who you are. You know, this last week was kind of like cleaning week um, for for our household. And uh, my two boys, uh, my middle one and my youngest one, Asher and Dawson, they share a room. And so uh, their room, mess would be a nice way of describing their room. Uh, Dump is more appropriate of what it was. Like, I mean, it's a little embarrassing to say how things got out of control, but there was this huge mound of like toys, Nerf guns, costume. Dawson would have to climb up this mountain, you know, to get to stuff that he wanted. Clothes, clean clothes were just laid out on the floor. You know, like they ran out of room to put their stuff. And it's not like we haven't given them the space. We've given them the dressers. We've given them nice little cubbies to put all their stuff in and make it organized. But here's what we found out. When it's time to clean your room, guess what they did? Shoveled everything in the closet, jammed the door closed. And so when you opened it, it was kind of like the cartoon. All the stuff just kind of fell in on you, you know? And so we were like, this is not good. And so Jen, she goes in and she's like, it's multiple day project too, by the way, she's going in she's trashing stuff. She's giving stuff away, trying to figure out what's valuable, what's not valuable to them. Of course, everything was valuable to them. Now you might be thinking, well, what were you doing, pastor? Like, well, your wife's doing this. What are you doing? Well, I was running emotional interference. That's what I was doing. Like there was some emotional damage happening to those boys. In fact, one day, even Asher, he was like, "Um, we're doing this again he was like, haven't we cried enough, mom? Like, are we really seriously doing this again? And I was like, yeah, we're doing it again. You know, so I'm, I'm emotionally helping them uh, through this and, and talking to them about this kind of stuff. And I thought about it and, and I was like, man, like, where do they, where do these kids get this from? Like, where do they get it from? And I went, oh, I know where they get it from. Me. I treasure and value just about everything. Like Jen, I'm not going to say she's heartless. She values, she treasures things, but I treasure everything. Like every little thing I treasure, I value. Maybe my gift is, my spiritual gift is pack rat. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's what it is, but, but I'm valuing everything. And there's, I'm pretty sure there's times Jen's throwing away clothes or shoes of mine when I didn't know because she's like, he doesn't even know. Like, it's fine. <laughs> we'll just get rid of this kind of stuff, you know? And so I, I thought about just different things that I because here's the reality. I, I've also learned this, that you're either a trash person or you're a treasure it person, right? Like who here is a treasure at person, yeah? So I mean, who's a trash-it person? Yeah, you're kind of split like the last service. Guess what? You're like, I don't know what I am. Throw some of your stuff away. You'll quickly find out if you're a treasure it or trash it person, all right? Probably more often you're treasure people like me. But this week, I thought about some stuff that I have. You know, I've got this game my grandpa made me. It's a game that I played with him. It's a game that uh, I've played with my boys and I treasure it. I have a chess piece. My grandpa taught me how to play chess. So I learned how to play chess. I have this chess set. I've taught my boys how to play chess on that. You know, I've got a a box, a a shoebox full of birthday cards, Father's Day cards, just, hey, here's because you're a cool dad card. You know, like I've got all of this stuff in a shoebox and they're just weird drawings and it's all throughout their ages and I've got it all stuffed in there. I've got a Michael Jordan rookie card that my boys are just all wanting to get. You know, I've got like guitars sitting in the closet. I've got all these things that I treasure, all these things that I value. And here's the reality. A long, 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 long time from now, I'm going to die. My time on this earth is going to be done. And you know the drill because you might've been through it yourself, but you got to go in, you got to clean the house. You got to figure out what are you going to save? What are you going to throw away? You got to get the house ready to sell. And my boys are going to see all this stuff, the stuff that I've collected. And they're probably going to look at it and go, well, is it worth any money? You know, and they might, they might see some of this stuff and go, I remember doing this with dad, or I like this, I'm going to hold on to this. And they're going to treasure certain things and all of that. But then years, years, years from now, my boys are going to die and they're going to have kids. And again, if the Lion King taught us anything, it's a circle of life. Like it just happens, right? And their kids are going to look at their stuff and they're going to go, well, I don't know what this stuff is. It's not worth anything. And they're just going to trash it. They're going to throw it away. They're going to get rid of it. Why? Because they didn't see the value in the way that we saw the value in those things. They may not keep this game. They may throw away the shoebox of cards. They will sell the Michael Jordan rookie card. Like that's what's going to happen. They're just going to do those kinds of things because they don't understand the value of it. I understand for many of you here that your parents, your friends, your ex, they don't see the value in you, but God sees value in you. And just because they don't see value doesn't mean you're not valuable. You are God's purchased possession. And here's the last one. God values you because you are his beloved child. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Jesus. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, our sins, it was by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here's what this verse is saying. That in heaven, when Jesus wants to demonstrate his grace, he's gonna demonstrate it by pointing to you. You are valuable to God because he won you. The cross was all about you being dead in your sins. You were going to die, separated from your savior, from your creator. We were all gonna to go to hell. We were all doomed. And Jesus was like, I don't want them to be doomed. I want to win them. And he came and he lived among us. He taught us. He cared for us. And then he was crucified, buried, and he rose again. And the Bible says, because of that, God was satisfied with his sacrifice that Jesus paid for the sins of all mankind. In dying on the cross, he secured your soul. In dying on the cross, he saved you. In dying on the cross, he won you. You are his trophy. That's what this verse is getting at. You are his trophy. He worked to get you. He won you. You know, school starts tomorrow and all the parents said amen to that. (laughs) It's time the starting kids are booing that. They're like, oh man, I don't want that. But last year was really difficult for Jen and I with uh, Dawson, our youngest son in school. And uh, for those of you who know, like, we, we haven't really hit it. It's, it's been something that as it comes up, we talk to people about it. But some of you, you know, it's been a struggle. You know, last year we started school. Dawson was all excited. And, but as the year continued, we found out that he was slowly regressing. Like, all his friends were progressing, but Dawson was regressing in things. It was hard for him to stay focused. It was hard for him to be attentive. Like, he was trying the best he, he was, he could do. And, and it just wasn't seeming like it was enough. And so he was struggling. So we met with a lot of the teachers. We, we met, he got tested. We found out that he has ADD. He's got dyslexia. So he's got a lot of problems going on that makes it hard for him to learn. And so what we've done is we've taken him to get some therapy. He goes and uh, for the last nine months now, he's been um, what, what is called brain balancing. He's getting the right side, talking to the left side and making sure that it communicates really well. And all throughout the year, he was doing that. And all throughout the year, he would see all these trophies, all these awards that these kids would get. And we'd have to have the conversation. It's okay, Dawson. You're going to be fine. It's, you know, you're working hard in this. It's okay that they're doing that. It's just coming easier. It's not going to matter, you know, in years from now. I know it hurts now. And we're having all these conversations. And at the end of the year, the, the school really recommended that we hold him back a year. So Dawson's repeating the first grade. And, uh, and so we've had to have that conversation. It's things that Jen and I, we're not used to walking through. We're not used to walking through this with him. And, and so we're just kind of, as, we're, as it comes along, we're just trying to walk through this with him. And so at the very end of the year, he, again, he didn't get a whole lot of awards, but at the end of the year, he got one award. And it was called the Bug Award. Now, if you know, if you got kids, it's the bringing up grades, right? That's what it stands for. And you get this award and you get this dog tag. Now, Jen didn't throw away the dog tag. Okay, that's the special stuff. Like he, he still has that because he wore it around. All weekend. He was so proud of it. He got it on a Friday. He wore it all day Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like, he was so proud of this award that he got. He was just beaming with joy because it was like, hey, man, this is so great because this shows that this therapy, this thing that you're going through, it's actually working. Like your brain is talking and and you're doing really well in school. This means that you're up on, you're on the upswing of a lot of this stuff. And he was so excited. He was so proud. And if you know us and you know that struggle we're going through, you might look at us. You might be like, Nate, aren't you so proud of that award? Aren't you so proud of that trophy? And I'd be like, no, I'm not proud of that. I'm proud of him. Dawson is my trophy. He's the one that I'm proud of. God uses the same language to describe you. He's proud of you. You are his trophy. And you may say, but you know what? I've screwed up, Nate. You don't know the sins that I've done. You don't know the sins that I've committed. I'm a really messed up individual. Hey, that's great. More glory to God. That makes your story of grace even more beautiful because if he could save your nasty soul, to him be the glory and the praise and the honor. You are his trophy. That's why he deserves our worship, our honor. You might have walked in here today and you might not have felt very valued, undervalued, underappreciated. My hope and my prayer has been that you would walk out of here understanding your worth, feeling valued, not because of who you are, not because of what you can do, but because of what he's done in us. See, God gives us these warnings here in Luke 12 because he wants us as his followers to look different than the world. And so circling back to that game that we just played, how would God describe you? What would God say that you are? He would say that you're his unique creation, purchased possession, and his beloved child. And because of our worth, he gives us these warnings here in Luke 12. Because when we know who we are in him, we'll know how to act, we'll know what to do, we know how to look like his followers. Because the reality is, just like Stephen, we're going to be tempted to be hypocritical, to reject Jesus, to be filled with fear. But when we understand our worth and our value, just like verses 6 and 7 are talking about, we'll know how to act and respond when we're faced, when we're faced in those similar situations.